a, a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step, step. All right, another, 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 hear me carefully, another Victory Monday edition of One Giant Step, which I can assure you bosses did not think we'd even hit six whole year, let alone six in the first seven games when they put myself, Sean Morash, and Paul Dettino together here on One Giant Step. Welcome, as always, in to our reaction podcast following a Giants win in Jacksonville that had it all. Paul Dettino with us, and Paul was down there in Jacksonville. Paul, before I you know, let you set the scene, let me just tell you, from my couch on a rainy day on Long Island, I could tell you, in a season that has been so full of happy moments and so full of strange moments, this took the cake as far as one of the strangest Giant games that resulted in a win in a long time that I can remember. I mean, this game had it all. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, Sean, you know, it's funny. Uh, I I honestly looked at the game, didn't think there would be any agita involved at all. When we talked last week in previewing this game, in my mind, uh, there was only one path for Jacksonville to make this a competitive game, and that is if the Giants had not played well. If the Giants had self-inflicted so many wounds that they would allow Jacksonville to steal the game. Well, as it played out, the Giants had enough of self-inflicted wounds. And I think Trevor Lawrence certainly played extremely well. And Etienne ran the ball well to the point where it came down to a one-yard stop on the final play. So, in fact, it was a rather nasty agitated game over the course of the last minute and couple of seconds because obviously the officials needed to jockey with the clock oh. and it became much more of a of a gut wrencher than it needed oh. to be yeah and and on that point and part of the reason i found this to be one of the strangest games was yes it was full of agita which isn't strange to giant fans but there was for the first time paul in recent weeks there were multiple moments in the final seconds, let's say, of the fourth quarter, forget the whole quarter for a second, where I really thought, wow, the Giants are going to lose this game. The Giants are going to lose this game. Well, and you it did. Really, really annoyed me. All right, so here we go, Paul, and I'm just going to rattle off three things for you on why I think this was odd to fill and the Giants almost lost this game. Number one, hey, injuries. We keep saying this. They keep, you know, next man up, next man up. Well, you know, they get three big ones between Bredesen, between Neal, and between Bellinger, clearly. You know, you keep losing these bodies. I'm not even talking about Ojalari, who's now on IR. This is going to be very difficult to keep overcoming. Number two, right. I mean, the drops drive you nuts. And good for Daniel Jones finally showing a little fire, a little fight, because the drops have been a problem all year. Boy, were they such a big problem this game, including that fourth down to Marcus Johnson, which just cannot happen under any circumstance, which, oh, by the way, I don't disagree with going for two, but looking back, you kick the field goal. There's even less agita down the stretch. And number three, Paul, I, I, I hate being this guy. There are times I do it and I have to catch myself. The officiating was horrific on Sunday absolutely horrific. And I'm not saying that it didn't go both ways at times, but it was bordering on suspicion that something was up for me from my couch. The idea 
that that hands to the face could be called in that spot on Dane Belton. Not the second uh, rough of the pass for Dexter Lawrence, but the one-finger Dexter Lawrence. And frankly, look, I know that Saquon's got to get down earlier, but his shin is down. Whenever we see a receiver go down, the shin is down, you rule him down. He is starting that slide before he goes out of bounds. I, I mean, how many times did the officials yesterday feel like they were just raking one over on the Giants' ball? Yeah, I, I will tell you, though, Sean, honestly, I felt all along the Giants were in control and going to win the game until they took uh, the Moreau interception away on the belt and penalty. Oh, that's that's the only time where I all of a sudden said, all right, this is not going to go well. Otherwise, I'll be frank with you. The drop by Marcus Johnson on the goal line, the injuries to, to the three or the three guys on offense, the two linemen and the tight end. None of these things. We're of a concern. I, I felt the game went in a lot of ways exactly as it was scripted from the Giants' perspective. Even with all the injuries and some of the sloppiness, five drops, which is terrible for them. Oh. That's not what they're used to doing this year. They would have okay? scored a lot more points, Paul. You left at no least doubt. 10 points. No on the doubt. Board. But even with all that sloppiness, I felt 98% convinced the Giants were in control of the game, and then they took away the interception. And that's when I said, uh-oh, I've seen that movie before, and that one doesn't turn out so good. And that's when it got really, really, really tough uh, in those final moments for me. And again, we keep talking about signs that this giant team is different and coach different, right? I mean, when does a guy in week one ever miss a field goal like that as time expires? They always kick those field goals, even if they're from freaking long distance. We'll always look back at that Titan game like that. And there have been a couple of these moments, the Packer game and what happened in the fourth quarter. But in this game, to have that interception taken off the board on forget like a, a boneheaded penalty, it was non-existent. Dane Belton's playing defense. The penalty didn't exist. And right. then to have the roughing the passer and get him down there, and still have your defense be able to swarm where you see how many times, you know, people want to kill Lawrence for throwing one yard short there. I mean, how many times momentum carry a receiver like Kirk over to get that stop and still not allow the Jaguars in the end zone? That is my positive spin on this, Paul, is that things are just different. To have everything go against you in the moment and it feels like you're sinking in quicksand, needing to reach out for help. There are the Giants coming and coming up again with a big play to seal a game. It's it's unbelievable at this point. Well, here's the part that baffled the Giants more than anything else. And and they're not going to talk about the officials' flags because obviously they're going to get fined right. for that. So they're not going to do it. But when they put the the the, the clock backwards. You know, the Giants were under the assumption when the clock had continued to roll on the Barkley running play near the sideline, which, by the way, was 10 yards uh, right right by me. I was right there on that sideline, about 10 yards away at the time. I agree with you. I thought Barkley had gone down, and, and I didn't think that there was any issue. So the clock runs. The clock is rolling. They're allowing the clock to roll. Dable standing there with the official watching the clock roll. They know what they want to do. They're planning everything out according to that scenario. And then all of a sudden, after the clock has been stopped, when they did what they wanted to do and they play it out the way they want to play it out, then the officials go back and say, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got to put the time back on the clock. Unreal. That discombobulated the entire sideline. And the entire team, 
because it's like, well, wait a second. We weren't we wouldn't have played it out like we played it out if we knew you were going to stop the clock when you did. And now you literally want to reverse time. I'm not saying that, you know, the call was right or wrong. I don't think it was right. But the way that they allowed it to happen was yeah. just incredibly bogus. Right. I mean, it, if you got up to like, watch it. If you were if you're watching on TV and you got up to use the bathroom or something after you know he went down, you thought you would come back. All of a sudden you look up, there's a minute left. You you wonder what the heck happened the way they handled that. It was like the play had ended and that was the end of it. And Paul, I think my issue again with that, you want to talk about discombobulating them, is just the inconsistencies in NFL officiating. Why is that any different? Any different than a receiver going down? We talk about one butt cheek, one chin, one everything. He started his slide, his body was down. That's yep. it. He gave himself up before the out of bounds. Like I, I cannot kill Barkley for that. Uh, you know, people want to say, "Oh, Barkley shouldn't have made it that close." What do you mean shouldn't have made it that close? He broke it to the outside. I mean, a football field's not three hundred yards wide. Uh, what do you mean he shouldn't have made it that close? The only thing I will say, Sean, is that Dable felt this way and Barkley felt this way after the game as well. He did not have to cut it that far to the outside. There was certainly okay. there's a lot of room on a football field. Okay. You and I both know that. The field is really wide. And and he did not have to get that close to the point where this winds up happening. They always tell you, take the decision out of the officials' hands. Don't let them screw up the call. And now let's talk about uh, I'm gonna call him our Lord and Savior, Daniel Jones. Uh number eight on your programs, number one in your hearts. Okay. I mean, unbelievable, Paul, to have their first game where two guys rushed for a for a hundred yards since what was it 2009 yeah there was 10 Uh, i think it was 10 i I, I saw okay so daniel jones looks back with the running and it makes you wonder now we're three weeks removed from the ankle injury he didn't miss any games and he picked and chose the spots and he still did that to an extent in this game but he looked back and it almost makes me feel better because we didn't see a lot of this early in the game yesterday paul but it makes me feel like the giants are coaching and calling plays where they know they have daniel jones's legs as a weapon but don't make them the number one weapon unless you have to because we still want to keep this guy healthy but seeing him play that way and seeing him i mean daniel jones was delivering some seed throw yesterday. I mean, the throw to Slayton in the end zone is unbelievable. The Johnson drop was one of, as you said, about five drops. I mean, you got your balls hitting guys and not, I think ball, another ball hit Slayton in the numbers too at one point. That, I was, by the way, shocked that there was no pass interference on as well. But Daniel Jones's numbers, over 200 yards passing, 100 yards receiving, a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. His numbers, see, and this is also the problem if you don't watch the games and you want to go back and look numbers. He's going to get a lot of credit. His numbers should have been that much more better in passing without these drops, and this has been nothing new with this receiving core. But I think really the true sign of where we come here, Paul, week one throws that inexplicable pass, uh, you know, that gets picked off and Dable gets in his face, although they tried to act like he didn't, you know, that can't happen. That can't happen. Well, fast forward two months of football here and there's Daniel Jones acting the way a lot of these franchise quarterbacks act, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are their own problems right now. Hey, that's unacceptable on a football field when you're dropping passes. I'm going to let you know that I'm not just going to be walked all over here. You got to make a play. I thought that was another sign, here we go, that Daniel Jones continues to grow up week by week. It's okay that he's just showing the same kind of fire as the head coach, and he's out there making a ton of plays, both with his legs and his arm. I'm going to go back into the time machine like I do so many times before, Sean. Phil Simms was a fiery quarterback, and we loved Phil Simms for what he did for this franchise, right? And then Eli was the opposite. 
Eli was cold and cool and collected. And everybody talked about how he never broke a sweat and all that other stuff. Okay, well, you know what? Daniel Jones has to be Daniel Jones. And for him to always act like Eli and to try to be cool and monotone because maybe he thinks he's got to be, no, it's okay. Daniel, if you're pissed off, I could say that, right? This is this is the internet. Yeah. I could say that, right? Okay. Yeah, Daniel, if you're pissed off, Phil was pissed off too. Do it. Just yeah. come out and do it. Phil had a lot of fire in his belly, and we applauded him for it. So, Daniel, it's okay. It's allowed. You're ticked off. The guy dropped the pass on the goal line. Should have had it. Show him. Let him know. Now, don't show him up. Don't rant and rave. I don't think he did. He just let him and know he that didn't. Yeah. And he didn't. And that's the point. Take the three, take the three seconds, the four seconds, the five seconds, and say, come on, man. Come on. We got to get that. Do it. Oh, Do it. Fire. Show some oregano, baby. <laughs> I love it, Paul. Now I'm very in the mood for some Italian food later on. All right. So with that, you show some oregano, baby. How about on the other side of the ball real quick? I mean, just the defense again, just when they need to make a play, they make a play. And for the second straight week, I feel like Kayvon Thibodeau really disrupted things on those last couple drives for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It took them a while to get going. I mean, the Giants' defensive front was really stonewalled early in this game. They had yeah. owned so many of these games in the trenches, and they really just couldn't make anything happen. They couldn't set an edge ATN going off. They couldn't get to Trevor Lawrence. But they were able to grind this out a little bit, Paul. And it, by the end of the game, it's Kayvon Thibodeau. And I know Dexter Lawrence takes that second rough in the passer call. But those guys are getting after the quarterback again. And Thibodeau is really coming into his own in what feels like he's becoming a closer. I think this is really a twofold point that you're making, Sean. It's not just that the pass rush in the fourth quarter clearly wore down the Jaguars and was getting more and more heat. And I know what you mentioned about the, the penalty and – I get it, all of that stuff. I mean, Dexter Lawrence is a big man, and when he lands on you, it's pretty nasty. But <laughs> the and, and Thibodeau certainly was doing better in, in the fourth quarter as well. I But I also believe that it was the Giants' offensive line and their running game that was punishing the Jaguars in the fourth quarter as well as the defense. On both sides, I thought the yeah. Giants' physicality and the conditioning and the desire to take it to you and to throw more haymakers, that's what won this game, ultimately. Because I believe, in spite of the fact that, you know, uh, Kirk got down to the one-yard line on the last play, I get it. Physically, it was one yard away from perhaps losing the game. I totally understand that. But like you said, for people who watched the game, you saw how physically imposing the Giants were in the fourth quarter on both sides of the ball. They were dictating the tempo on both sides. Yeah, and, and on that point of physicality, because we're going to get to the injuries and what you saw down on the sideline in a second. Uh, I, I think I was reading about uh, Feliciano here, basically urging the sideline as they were really grinding it out in the fourth quarter. Just keep feeding it to Saquon. Keep yes. feeding it to Saquon. And it, it yes. felt like the offensive line had caught their groove, and they were started to beat the heck out of that defensive front for the Jags. You know, Walker had his couple moments there on Phillips, but ultimately Josh Allen was very quiet. I mean, shocker, Andrew Thomas was great again, but it felt like the Giants as an offensive unit 
loved feeding off that physicality. And it's no secret. I mean, we've seen multiple games now where Saquon's numbers just aren't there in the first half. And you look up, and by the end of the fourth quarter, he's up, you know, 80, 90, 100 yards rushing again. Uh, and that's because the offensive line just keeps getting this mojo, and there's Saquon finding his gaps. I mean, that was it. They wore him down late. The commitment of Kafka and Dable to continue to go back to the run game. How many weeks are we talking about this, Sean? Yeah. They just keep doing it. It doesn't matter. You want to stone the Giants rushing attack in the first half? It doesn't matter. They're not going to let you take them out of their game. They're going to do what they want to do. All right. You threw up a wall. Okay. They're going to keep chopping away till they break through it. It's just that simple. The Giants will not be deterred from their running game or their balanced attack. They continue to prove it week after week, and it continues to be effective as the, as the second half wears on. Let's look at what Azudu did, and let's look at what Tyree Phillips did. Now, Azudu, at least we knew, was a bruiser in the run game, and oh, we've yeah. seen him earlier this season before. It's so the that pass protection the problem. Right, exactly. The run okay. game, he's been fine. Right. But Tyree Phillips? No, I mean, seriously, think about that for a second. Did you even know who he was until the Giants picked him up, the former no. Ravens offensive lineman? Never heard of him. Okay. Never heard of him in my life. Right, exactly. Guy's a former third-round pick, all right, been in the league for a few years, had even started a bunch of games during his career with the Ravens, but it had a bunch of injuries. They gave up on him, on, gave up on him during the offseason, and I don't know this – but the suspicion is that Wink probably alerted the front office and said, look, this guy's out there. You may want him for death purposes. So what happens? They sign him. He quietly sits there on the bench. Nobody even gives him a second thought. And I'll be honest with you. I've never even given him a second thought. I knew yeah. he was there. I knew who he was. But I never gave him a second thought. And so all of a sudden now, they wind up with two offensive linemen injured in the game. Evan Neal goes out, Phillips goes in, not Devery Hamilton, but Phillips becomes the lead right. tackle. If, and Paul, not to stop you, but a week before, out of nowhere, Phillips suddenly was the guy being the eligible receiver on all those right. plays versus the Ravens. You know, just, as a giant, you're sitting there going, 79 eligible? Who are we talking about here? It was like he came out of nowhere last week, and it's just not that you wanted it for Evan Neal, of course, but it's so ironic that you know, after what happened last week, suddenly Neal gets hurt and you need him to step up into this spot. And, what, what, and Paul, and uh, you continue on, but uh, as I'm saying this out loud, was it Tyree Phillips just need to learn the playbook? Like, what took them so long to get him involved in those jumbo packages and stuff? Well, like I'm glad you asked me that question because that's that's actually something that I need to figure out myself. The truth of the matter is, I'm not sure. I, I was under the impression that last week when they used him in the jumbo, they were just giving him a shot to do something, honestly, because he had done so well during practice in terms of his work ethic. Remember, this coaching staff tells the guys, you work hard in practice, you earn snaps, you'll get rewarded. And he's right. been a good teammate. That I know. They like him. He's a good teammate. I thought they just threw him in there and gave him a token to get in the game last week when he had those handful of snaps. I never thought that it was going to result in him being the next man up at the tackle spot. Yeah. 
I never thought I, that. I had to go back and check the inactives when he came in because I was even like, no Devry? I mean, what are we doing here? I, I you know, I thought that was the way we had brought it along, but certainly, certainly that was worth it. And by the way, it just shows you the Giants have come such a long way on the offensive line. Their starters were so bad for so long. When anybody went down, you didn't want to see what their backups looked like. The idea that they could lose two guys in that game yesterday, Paul, and still be able to grind it out the way they did in the fourth quarter speaks volumes, speaks volumes. And with that, I mean, obviously, you were in the locker room post game. We are taping this well before we have any injury reports. It's been reported, though, that Evan Neal is a sprained MCL, which, aha, we've seen plenty of those already with the Giants this year. So it gives you an idea when thinking about Leonard Williams and, like, you know, how long a timetable you're looking at. Uh, you know, what do you think with Bredesen and Neal and timetables or injuries? And what's the sense you get? Well, the only thing that, that I will say is that watching the guys leave the locker room yesterday, uh, as they headed to the team bus, and you know that the, neither Neil or Bredesen were available to talk to the media, right. but 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 both of them, you know, had braces on as as they were, you know, slowly walking off to the team bus. So the good news, I suppose, is that I don't think either guy's going to be a season ender. I can't say that for sure, but I don't think so. I got, I mean, I didn't see crutches, right? right. You don't when you don't see crutches, it's good. It's usually a good thing, right? Okay. So um, as they walked off to the bus, they had braces. So I'll assume that they'll be sooner rather than later. But I think it's it's probably asking an awful lot to expect them to play next week. Now, yeah. does that mean does that mean that Ty Phil, Ty, you know, Tyree Phillips is is the tackle this week? Maybe it does. And good for him. See, the one thing I will tell you, and this goes to my point about what I was talking about with it, with the intangibles. So I was on the sideline for the entire game yesterday. Before the game started, Tyree Phillips, and I had not noticed this before, and I don't know, maybe he didn't do it before, but Tyree Phillips went up and down the Giants bench before the National Anthem and went up to every single teammate that he could find and gave them a slap and a hug and, and, and a good job before the game. Now, I know it doesn't sound like much, but that's the kind of stuff that they're building here. Right. No, it's and a guy that's into it. That's a guy without a major role who's into it going up. Hey, let's go get this. I, there's nothing now, wrong did with he, that. Did he know he was going to play at all? No, I don't I mean, think so. He might have thought you the jumbo what? packages again. He certainly didn't think Evan Neal was getting hurt. I mean, by the but, way, if you if you could have predicted anything from yesterday's game, you, you know, you should be playing lotto at this point. Too. Yeah, really. So in any event, but the good news I've been telling you guys about the offensive linemen that are coming back anyway. I've been telling you about this for weeks. Well, they got to make a decision on Gates this week. I would expect, obviously, that, that he'll be activated, I would think. you know. Now, the bad news, they have to get Lemieux back this week. I mean, he's right. coming back real soon. I wouldn't be shocked if he's back in a couple of weeks. And by the okay. way, Paul, Paul, on that note with Gates, too, they don't necessarily have to cut somebody. It easily could be a Neil or Bredesen temporarily to IR in the meantime, sure. too. Sure. You know, that, that was a little bit you. of a that, – that was a fear. You know, you activate Gates. Who do you have to cut to make room and do the roster? Yeah. You know, they might have a roster spot open now. Well, I think Bellinger's going to go IR. Yeah, well, that was the next one I was going to close the pod with as well. He, is, he's you know, going to see an eye doctor today because he, he got jammed up, up inside the face mask into his eye. Yeah. And that's, that's nasty. 
Yeah, I mean, so, to leave to go to the hospital and, it, and his eye had swelled shut. He had come back. Um, there were some f- very, very fringe, unconfirmed reports that he might need surgery too, Paul. I mean, it, it that was so bizarre to me because when he got carted off, you know, again, I'm not there. I'm thinking to myself, he got poked in an eye. How big could this be? He'll be out there for the second half. To find out he had gone to the hospital, I mean, that is scary stuff. And of all of these guys, you talk about Phillips stepping up. You know, we've talked about Izudu stepping up. The Bellinger injury, just because of what Bellinger's become, I and mean, we saw two weeks ago in London, the way that they're trusting him on reverses and everything else, he's become such a key ingredient. You want to talk about Oregano, he might be, you know, the time of this Giants offense, Paul, uh, and losing him for a significant amount of time. You know, again, you hear IR and you, you assume, okay, maybe he's back at some point. If that was a season ender, that would be one that I think would be really devastating this Giant team. Yeah, you, you know, I understand the point, but I will say to you, there are times when uh, when Myrick has looked like he's been a pretty damn good blocker. So maybe yeah, they won't yeah. miss as much of that component as we think because, as we've also seen, Myrick and Hudson have also made some cameos in the passing game, and we didn't expect much of Bellinger, and Myrick and Hudson have kind of made cameos like he did earlier in the year. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it won't be as devastating as we think. And by the way, well, who's they the third guy, though, Paul? Who's, who's going to be the third guy if they get rid of me? You know, well, they need Lawrence Cager. Lawrence Cager. Okay. Who, by, who I will tell you, had a good preseason with the Jets. Giants just signed him to the practice squad. Keep an eye on Lawrence Cager. I know. And what I mean by that, Paul, is like, of course, the Giants, we've gotten accustomed to next man up. And look, guys have filled the roles. They've won these games without these wide receivers. But, you know, Bellinger is a guy, a day three pick. He was just. I, there's something to him where the fan base is falling in love a little bit, right? You, you Jake Ballard 2.0. Yeah, I get it. And, and, I get and, it. And, and more than Jake Ballard in that you look at him as, you know, this is a position where we love our tight ends, right? We love Bavaro. We love Shockey. Then we loved Boss and Ballard and those guys. But Bellinger was starting to feel like they might have something here where we're talking about our next tight end for five, six, seven years. And not to say that he won't just because of an eye injury, but it just it sucks in the midst of all this to see him go down with that kind of injury. I mean, it is what it is. But on that note, just to go back just a little bit, Lemieux is still a little far off. You talked about Gates being activated. We were ahead of the game on this, talking about, you know, the versatility of Gates and why you'd want him on the roster because he could play everywhere. Do you envision a scenario in a few weeks, if this lasted a long time with Neil, where Gates could actually go back to being right tackle for this team? Well, if Tyree Phillips holds it down, why would you move him out of there? Well, it's true. It's true. I'm just saying we know the value of Nick Gates, and I know that it's hard to expect Nick Gates to go back to being right away off of this injury, the offensive line that he had come into his own as. But that being said, if he shows that progress, and you never know what, you know, Phillips could get off the hot start, teams figure it out, look at him on tape, and he reverts back. Or as you said, he's battled with injuries. Maybe he gets hurt again. I mean, is is there a potential there where we don't just assume Nick Gates is an interior offensive lineman for this team? I suppose in an emergency they could do it. I, I never thought that Gates, even though he was a tackle at uh, Nebraska, uh, when I looked at his tape coming out of school, I remember seeing him at rookie minicamp, and I said to him, you're going to make this team. And he appreciated the thought, and he's like, well, what, what do you think? I said, because I've watched you tape. You're going to be a hell of an NFL guard. I don't think you're going to be a tackle in this league, but I think you're going to be a hell of a guard. Well, as it turned out, he seems to even be a better center. But yeah. I, 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 at his athleticism and his quickness, not really built for the tackle spot. In a pinch, he can do it. But I don't think I don't think you want to be thinking about him out there. All right, and then let's close with this thought, Paul, because you were on the sideline all game. 
it is so refreshing to me as somebody who's I've traveled and seen the Giants on the road a bunch of times. And we know that the Florida games because so many Giant fans that have moved down there. But that was really surreal. I mean, that crowd was it, it, it was unbelievable the amount of blue jerseys, white giant jerseys, hearing them and then seeing the scene of everybody meeting Dable post game. I mean, it caused a full start. It felt like at least on TV late. I mean, the, the let's go giant ch- uh, chance were, were up there. And it's just so refreshing to see this team playing good football. And now giant fans are enthused about going on the road. And boy, did they take over Jacksonville. If you consider that stadium in four parts behind each end zone, the camera side, and the opposite camera side. Well, the camera side, which is the Jaguars part of the stadium, that's their sideline. That that was clearly won by the Jaguars colors. There's yeah. no doubt. But the end zones, you would say there was more blue in each end zone. And on the opposite side of the field, which was the Giants sideline, it was dominated by blue. It was unreal. The camera It was side. the only Giants game that was going to be played during the regular season in Florida this year. Knowing how many transplants are down there, it was obvious. The Giants knew going down, it was going to be a good crowd for them. But I think the fact that they were so vocal in key spots, and many times, many times throughout the course of the day, I'm not talking about the fourth quarter, there were chants of let's go Giants that was very audible. It was a very animated uh, stadium. And what 6-1 and one has done now, Paul, is forget the road for a second, I don't think you have a lot of Giant fans and season ticket holders looking to dump off tickets to road teams. And you've already gotten the Cowboy game out of the way. I don't think that suddenly MetLife Stadium is going to become, you know, homecoming for these road teams coming in, those that are left in November and December. And just seeing Giant fans' attitude towards this team, I mean, this is unreal. This is, this is completely unreal. I know the Eagles were on a bye, but the Giants now have, you know, a tie for the most wins in the NFL at six. What? I mean, how is that possible before Halloween? Uh, and, and on that, Paul, I, I would say this. Tough game in Seattle coming up, and we'll do the preview pod later on. But beyond that, I mean, with all these injuries, I do think that there is a point in time here where this bye now is falling in line at the perfect time for the Giants to kind of calm down, reset, and get some bodies back after that. Yeah, I agree with all the points you just made, but I don't want to let this program end without throwing some bouquets out to guys who were left for okay. nothing. I I mean, Fabian Moreau, Oh, come on. Should have had on. a pick, and he's been great. And his PFF numbers, which we hate most of the time, are really supporting the argument he's been like a top-10 corner in the NFL this year. You know, has the interception that should seal the game until the penalty takes it away. Uh, makes the initial bump on Kirk at the goal line before Love and McKinney are able to get in there and wrap him up and stop him to seal the game. So Fabian Moreau, big time, big time. And Paul, you know what? On the Fabian Moreau point, because it really sucks what happened to Aaron Robinson, what he went through with the knee and the appendix and everything. But if if you could close your eyes and go back to August, and we did this, right? We talked about the secondary and the scary part of the secondary. I would say that on the Giants, the biggest question mark of any starting position of the starting 22 was cornerback two behind a Dory Jackson. And here we are, and it feels like it's not the guy we thought it was going to be. It feels like they actually got a pretty damn good one in their system with Fabian Moreau. A veteran who came in and just did his job and acted like a pro. And and can I also add uh, that it was a combination of Jalen Smith and also Landon Collins in on the fourth down quarterback sneak stop of yes, Trevor yeah. Lawrence with about five and a half minutes to go in the game. Sean, do, do, do I need to remind you how critical that play was? 
No, it was a play you would see them each making in the 2016 Pro Bowl to have them <laughs> come up here in 2022 and do it. You're right. It was unreal. And, uh, you know, again, part of the refs, too. I did question the ref spot on the second down play. I actually thought Jacksonville had it, but on third and fourth down. And that was what we talked about, too, right, Paul? We talked about Doug Peterson's aggressiveness on fourth down. It came back to haunt them in multiple spots yesterday. So the point is, you know, guys who the Giants added, knowing they didn't have a lot of money, but they were able to bring in some veterans, guys who were pros, pros, guys who know what they're doing. They have grit. They have toughness. They have experience. And these guys have all contributed significant plays. This is not just yesterday. This is what's been happening now throughout the course of the season. The Giants are getting everybody to contribute. It's it's an all-in deal. And, Sean, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. The Giants in the long run are going to be a much better team for all of the growing uh, bumps and bruises that they've had to do during the first month and a half of the season. I can't wait. I hope the best is to come, Paul. I hope the best is to come. Now we can sit back, relax for a couple days, see what's going on with the injuries, come back and look ahead to Seattle and Geno freaking Smith. Paul, you can follow you on Twitter. At Giants WFAN. You can follow me at Mirage CBS. Thanks to our producer, Adam. And thank you to all of you for taking one giant step with us.